0: You know, I gotta tell you, I've been aiming to get this podcast out and it's already two weeks overdue and I missed all my goals of having one podcast episode a week. And then recently I was listening to one of my favorite podcasters of all time, Brene Brown, Dare to Lead, and she had on Dr. Susan David, author of the book, Emotional Agility. And Susan David was talking about our feelings, that our feelings are our guide to our values we often ignore our feelings and we keep pushing through to meet a deadline because we value being i don't know perfectionists because when we set our minds to doing something we value the fact that we can achieve those goals and keep to our promise but here's something in this process i've been feeling so tired recently i had the opportunity to work on some pretty detailed communications around COVID exposures in my community And once the experience was done, it left me feeling so tired. And rather than deny myself the feelings of being tired and kind of emotionally depleted, I kind of acknowledged those feelings. After hearing Susan David, I realized, you know what? I do really value being professional at my job, but I also value being true to myself, standing in my truth. I value being real and authentic and showing up at a situation completely vulnerable. Today, I might not be on the top of my game. I might be feeling a little tired. And that's okay. I value being truthful. I value sleep. So I decided I would forego meeting my once a week deadline. But here we are. You're listening to it, albeit a little later than usual. And that's okay. Because to the listeners who may listen to this months from now, maybe years from now, they won't know that this didn't come out on a weekly basis. But you will know this, that I am authentic and I'm real. And I'm showing up to introduce my next guest, Blythe, being completely honest. Let's get real with Blythe. In this episode, episode number nine, we will meet Blythe Reimer, a woman of many things, as you will learn. But above all else, she is an inspiration, a woman of true entrepreneurial spirit. And what defines entrepreneurial spirit? There isn't one single recipe for success. It differs from person to person. Lived experience, specialized and accumulated knowledge, and inner wisdom are just some of the qualities. Blythe will share with us that it is also a mindset. An approach to our way of thinking to actively take charge and find ways to adapt even when the odds may appear to be stacked up against us. Blythe owns and operates a wonderful little breakfast cafe and has a tailor or two to tell us about enduring through the pandemic by staying true to her why. So let's get started and have a listen to Blythe's backstory. So here we are. Yes. And we're going to begin with telling everybody who is Blythe. Who is she? Who are you? (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing on my show?
1: (laughs) Wife, mom, woman, sister, daughter, all of that, all the time, every day, you get that. I'm also the boss of my employees, my work family, and um, I'm a friend to my friends. So, Mm -hmm roll it all up, in, up into one. I'm everybody. And why, yeah, why do I do that? Why do I run the restaurant? I think because if I didn't do it, if, if we didn't do it, Kurt and I, then somebody else would, and we'd be sad that we didn't. I think as a woman yeah. and, and someone who's very uh, type A and also kind of entrenched in a kind of a service mentality, it's a really tough question to answer is who are you? Because I feel sometimes I've lost track of who I actually am because I'm always out there doing everything for everybody else. Wow. And Mm -mm. this right now, this hour is for me. (laughs) I'm like, hey, this is me.
0: (laughs) I love that. Well, and I thank you for dedicating that hour to share it on the podcast.
1: No, that's no problem at all.
0: I I debated whether I should bring you and Kurt on together, or should I just talk to you? And I'm selfishly leaning towards just wanting to talk to you because of similar backgrounds. And we're going to get into that military backgrounds, both served in the Canadian Armed Forces and the Air Force. But as a woman entrepreneur, and to me, you are a very hardworking, diligent, and successful you have stayed true to your to your why and reached a level of entrepreneurialship that should be applauded, and that's why I want to tell your backstory.
1: I don't consider myself an entrepreneur. I don't know that either of us particularly do because it's very cliche. But if you love what you do, you don't ever work a day in your life, and so true. love what we do. I think there was a lot of serendipity that went into us achieving. Where we are today, and every—it seems like every corner we turn, there's even more serendipitous moments that kind of lead us forward and push us forward and encourage us, and and doesn't let us lose sight of that thing that we are trying to achieve. Which is—it's a simple thing. It's just bringing comfort to the people who walk in that front door and making them feel like they had a little piece of the big city, maybe or. Just something where they felt welcomed or like some of the regulars, I I think they kind of feel like they're coming somewhere where they feel special and Mm -hmm. they know they're going to get special treatment and warm connection. Mm -hmm. We were talking about that earlier. And I think it's just a natural thing that comes from who I am and all the things in my life that have shaped me into that including being married to an amazing man who is a mm. cheerleader.
0: You're running such a wonderful operation. And I liked how you said that. It's, it's our little local breakfast cafe, but at the same time, it has that big city feel. So I watched you the other day when we came in for breakfast. I was doing my homework. <laughs> Maybe I can write off my breakfast yeah. because it was work. <laughs> but you, you are the same with everybody. All those things you just said the friend, the sister, the mother, wrapped up into one nurturing individual who does bring comfort to the people who walk through your doors. And because it's smaller and cozier and quaint, you feel like you've come into mom's kitchen.
1: Mom's kitchen, almost. mom's yeah,
0: Kitchen yeah. almost, oh, but, but with a really groovy looking bar.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> <might have differential. laughs> well, I wish we could take credit for that. We can a little bit, but and even that espresso machine that we have, we are doing a symbol, just blends right in with the wooden. That's mm-hmm. more of that serendipity. It just kept happening. And it's like, oh, it works. It's working. Hey, it's been a really neat journey for sure. And I mean, as far as food, and I think that the quality of the food and the quality of the people that we get to work with us is an expression of us, an expression oh. of what we find to be really important quality ingredients made from scratch. Um, I really hesitate every time I have to source something that's not local or that's not 100% natural, like reading the labels, reading the ingredients. My other hat, here's another one of those things. I, I am a certified nutrition coach and I am a member of the Canadian Society of Nutrition Managers. And so because of that, I think I pay extra attention to those little details that maybe some other places don't, and Mm -hmm. and there's no compromise there. It has to be what we advertise. If I say it's friendly for a celiac, it's everything right down to the Worcester sauce. You know, every ingredient has been checked and double-checked to make sure it's safe. And vegans as well, anything soy-related, or it's amazing where things are hidden. I think that's also a bit of why people are loving the food and the food is so good. It's just the little extra attention to detail and our amazing staff.
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness. They're all wonderful. It, that serendipity you speak of it's like that law of attraction. You have, you and Kurt have put out this positive vibe through your thoughts and those thoughts have manifested into this abundance of success and abundance of happiness And it spills over into the food and the service. (laughs) But let's talk about, I asked you some questions and we're probably going to be all over the place because every time you tell me something, it just leads me down. Another question I want to ask you, we're going to go way back in time before becoming a a certified nutrition coach, coach to a time where you were serving in another means, in a very broader perspective, serving your country. So let's go back to life. The gal in the flight suit.
1: Well, I think the gal in the flight suit started even before that. To the gal (laughs) wearing the life vest on the back of a gate vessel in the Naval Reserves. I went to Queen's University. Um, Kingston. Yeah. (laughs) And um, there was the uh, uh, summer youth employment for uh, the reserves. I joined and it was great. It was a summer job and uh, it was shortly after that, I think it it might've been around the same summer, It was probably, I think 1985, I applied. They had opened combat traits to women right around that time. And I thought, well, hey, I've always wanted to be a bosun so I'm gonna do that. And I learned how to drive the boat and I thought that was just the coolest thing ever. That was me. I did that for a year um, and I had a blast. And then I graduated from university and I was walking past the recruiting center one day. My dad is a pilot. My grandfather was a pilot. Okay. I come from a long line of military pilots and I was walking past the recruiting center in Kingston. And I thought, well, um, I could be a pilot and I know that they have pilots on ships, sea kings. <laughs> and uh, so I, went in and I applied and went to aircrew selection and passed that. And off I went to officer training at Chilliwack. I remember arriving at Portage La Prairie. I, I, I was young. I was maybe 24 years old and I was so green. I, I knew I wanted to be a pilot, but I'd never flown an aircraft. I didn't even... I mean, I didn't know what an aileron was, and I thought, what am I doing? <laughs> and All these guys on my course are like, all have experience and they've all had hours on civilian aircraft. And there was another young woman on my course who, who had a private pilot's license, and I was so intimidated and I thought, oh God, what am I doing? Anyway, I persevered and mm-hmm. I passed my initial training. You asked me about my aha moment, and I think it was then that I realized I, I failed a meteorology a meteorology test.
0: Oh, and I it those thought,
1: tests. oh my god! And pilot training—you had your minimum score had to be eighty percent, and mm-hmm. nobody a pilot that only knows half of the stuff. And uh, I remember at that moment I thought, I I really want this. I really need this. And before that, nothing had ever been really hard for me to pass. I don't, I topped my Boson course. I. Topped, You know, I had great marks in school and I have two degrees and failure was never an option. It was never anything I ever had to think about until this moment. And I remember talking to my dad and he was like, well, you either pick yourself up right now and move on or you stop. And I knew stopping wasn't an option. So, I mean, the only course of action was to dig in my heels and persevere. And I think at that moment I realized when you posed that question to me in our little preamble, Mm -hmm. I, that was, that's always the immediate thing that comes to my mind that time I thought I might fail and not because of anything being a woman and the fear of failure, but fear of failure in general, as a person who is, who is driven towards a goal um, that was an aha moment. And then after that, I thought, I needed to top my course. I wasn't just going to pass. I was going to top my course. And I did. Yeah. So I guess, oh, and I remember it was during that time after Portage Le Prairie and moved on to Moose Jaw that I met Kurt. And we uh, had some pretty crazy things happen to us while we were in training. There was a crash. One of our course mates was killed. That was a very traumatic experience and that we endured together. Mm -hmm. And remember them sitting us down one day and saying, just take a look around your class because I think it was eight out of 10 of you will still be around and the rest of you won't. And before we even were able to realize our full 12 years of our first short service engagement in the military, we'd already lost five friends from our pilot training days in yeah. aircraft crashes I mean yeah it's something that really makes you think about your mortality and reminds you how short life actually is I topped my course in moose jaw they said to me they'd be like you you're on the girls
0: course <laughs>
1: i be like well no <laughs> not, not it always seemed and you probably found this too you had to be twice as good as the guys for them to even say hey way to go or I would happily fly with you or ignored that I knew that that was just coming from their insecurity. It wasn't about worrying about what they were thinking about. I was worried about what I was doing and what I was thinking about and where I was just staying focused with my eye on the prize, which was to get my wings in the CAF. And I got my wings. I got selected to go see Kings and immediately was sent overseas to meet up with HMCS Nippagon. I was immediately shipped off to meet them in Hamburg was an adventure getting there because I had to find the ship in a foreign port (laughs) I just was like oh they flew me to Lahr and everything from Lahr to Hamburg where the ship was was on me and I was probably I was probably 25 or 26 years old at that point just I don't know what I'm doing I spoke German luckily (laughs) I found the ship and I had to go on a water taxi and the water taxi pulled up alongside the ship and they sent down a ladder and I crawled up and they hoisted up all my duffel bags and whatnot. It was pretty comical. I was changing. I was changing out of my civilian clothes into my uniform in this tiny little bathroom in this water taxi in Hamburg.
0: You're not just a pilot showing up.
1: Oh, to no. They were kind of like, oh, we heard something about somebody joining the ship, but they come on the ship the normal way. And I don't think the CEO was on board at the time. There were, I think, think about four or five other officers that were women on board the ship with me. And I was the only pilot, of course. And exactly. it was a NATO cruise, and I just remember all the captains of all the other ships involved, they're were, they were all like, they wanted to meet this female pilot because these other countries, they, they didn't have women in the military, let alone flying. My crew, they had all been deployed during the time that I was doing my operational training. And so my first uh, captain that I flew with was really gruff. I was terrified. After a while, I got used to it, I think. They showed me to my quarters. And because I didn't want to be treated specially, I didn't really... I tried to just fit in as one of the guys, you know, Mm -hmm. because I didn't didn't feel comfortable being singled out because I was a woman. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to be, oh... Well, you just started there because, like my colleague had said, when I graduated, I was on the girls course, which no, no, I wasn't. <laughs> <It> was absolutely. <laughs> I to, yeah, I didn't wanted to be treated as, as an equal. And I think that after I got to fly several hours with most people, with most of the other men, I think they realized that actually I could do the job. One big comment they had, was, you're always so safe. <laughs> You're so safe. (laughs) Because they would drive me crazy trying to do all these things that push the envelopes like guys will do. And I'd be like, "Uh, are you sure we should be doing that? (laughs) It was so funny, though, like being at sea and Mm -hmm. always flying at night and never failed. You try to sleep during the day, but the Navy would be doing officer of the watch maneuvers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there would be turning and whistle blowing and you'd be trying to rest and you would yeah just be exhausted and so we'd finally fly at night and we'd be in the dip 40 feet over the water so we'd 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 be hovering 40 feet over the water 50 feet over 50 feet over the water there's there's nothing like being at sea and the stars and you know (sighs) As much as it's crazy, you can, there's all kinds of things you can appreciate about it too. And, and we were at sea for weeks on end.
0: How has that experience then, And clearly, it, it's evident that you have this an amazing drive, an innate drive to succeed and excel, but excel with a certain level of perfection, I, I guess you could say, or, or just go beyond what is expected. So, how has that helped you overcome our most challenging year? Or qualities of, of young Blythe in the flight suit has has come out in this pandemic.
1: I have an amazing partner. We are such an awesome team together that we pick each other up. And I think I said before we're each other's biggest cheerleaders. For me, I'm also very pragmatic and, and I think I always look for well if it's not being done why not and if it can be done then how that's kind of how we got through it we we talked about we can't just continue to sit here not doing anything and 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 pay rent on the building neither of us were super keen on on the handouts of the government i mean not that it's not a good thing you know mm-hmm. to take care of people but we kind of felt like well if we have the ways and the means to be sustainable and be self-sufficient. We need to get there because every little bit that we don't need to use can be passed on somehow, some other way to a community. And we did a lot of soul searching in that regard. Uh, Well, initially when we had to shut, we gave all our food to the food banks. We had just been in business for four months and suddenly takeout was going to be the model. And we Spent months developing a business plan for dine-in, and mm. it was just how do you translate breakfast to takeout, breakfast brunch to takeout? It's hollandaise. It separates. <laughs> oh, right. So we thought about it for a while, and we thought, well, when we go traveling, what do we do when we need to get breakfast and we're tra- and we're driving or whatever? We go to mcdonald's (laughs) well what's mcdonald's famous for in your hand what can you eat in your hand and what do we have on our menu that we can eat in our hand and what about the hash browns so we thought well if we can develop our little roasty potato to be eaten in your hand or at least with a fork like a disposable fork and then what on our menu can we translate into a sandwich variety So we did that and we opened for takeout three days a week. And it was kind of fun. Uh, We didn't make a lot of money doing it, but we were getting our name out there. And pretty soon, I'm going to say maybe three weeks past that, we were able to open for indoor dining. We opened again for five days a week. And we just kind of took off from there. And our summer was so amazing, even Mm -hmm. though even though there were no tourists, I'm air quoting here <laughs> no <Yeah>. tourists <laughs> and no festivals. We, we, um, it was amazing. We almost broke even. We learned a lot of lessons, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what to do and what not to do. It's back to normal. Now we still, now we still do takeout and we do eat in, which, which we'll see how that goes in the summertime. We're always trying to change and improve and, and, and figure out what people um, need or want in the community. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And that was another thing that happened that was amazing. We got nominated for the Best New Business Award from the Chamber. Indeed. And, uh, we were finalists, which, which was a huge honor for us because we were new and like <laughs> still trying to figure out what we were doing. <laughs> and uh, I think it, it was neat though, watching those awards and seeing all the other businesses in the nomination and just the whole realization of who all's out there and all of us are trying to do this, reinventing of each of ourselves to, to kind of make sure our community still has access to these wonderful, wonderful resources and businesses. So we've made some, we've definitely made some new and important connections because of that, so.
0: Yeah. And you continue to stay relevant and active on social media. That level of engagement, brand engagement is, is critical because you're inviting your clients and potentially future clients. You're bringing them in before they even actually come in by this level of engagement you've created on social media, which is phenomenal. I mean, it's at the point where it's like, oh, well, what's happening with Title Café? What, what they, <laughs> what's on the menu today? Well, let's just check their Instagram post. Engaging on social media is so important just to stay relevant and to let people know we're still here. And it, that's exactly what you did throughout the pandemic. And even in that short period of time where you had to halt operations. That was so just, let's, t- that was, I was just going to say, so who's the mastermind behind those posts?
1: <laughs> he, he, he is awesome. We we do we do work with people that help us with our social media, and we do have a photographer too that we have in our tool belt. Mm-hmm. And but he is he has learned and he cares aesthetically about the aesthetics of it and everything. And I'll send him some pictures some days, and he's like, "Those are so lame. <laughs> I gotta do it again." <laughs> it's hilarious because some of those pictures are literally in the in the heat of the moment just okay quick somebody take a picture and then those are the ones that turn out to be the best oh and we had a really funny uh thing with social media because there's a title cafe in Monterey, california and occasionally they'll ta- be tagged by accident or we'll be tagged by accident oh funny as of that we've kind of connected with them <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny they're the cutest young couple they uh, they're super fun and we always say now if we ever go if we ever get to travel again we're gonna visit each other because each other's cafes
0: <laughs> What an amazing story this connection that's been developed by a similar namesake in the and the mistake of just wrongly tagging the, the business you yeah. can have so much fun you could have on your instagram like we are right here like parallel pictures one by one we are not them we are you know which one are we
1: oh that would be hilarious that would be, i wonder if chris thought of that but and no, it's, it's, he's really good at instagram he's so good at it for me
0: i look at it because i know you and kurt and and we're um, oh well God
1: not together. We went to the same place
0: in Italy. Yes, yes. well oh, oh I my God. God. Oh, oh yes in fact we have to talk about that. <laughs> Let's just skip right ahead. Forget what I was going to say. Montisi and Tuscany. You know how that transpired? Did Kurt tell you how that all unfolded? We were sitting in the airport, the Comox airport and our family was going off on a trip. I think we were doing Hawaii that year. I cannot remember Um, Back when we were allowed to do that what a what a blessing that was and we'll never take that for granted And Kurt was on in his uniform getting ready He was gonna fly the jump seat to go to Vancouver and pick up his flights. And we just started talking about Italy and Said well, you've got to get in touch with Mark who works with Lorraine McKinnon And her beautiful home country home on an olive tree farm
1: Oh the view! Oh it was so beautiful. Oh.
0: And we set you up and off you went. And I think you took a cooking course.
1: We did. We took a cooking class from an Italian chef there. And it's funny because that whole experience was also part of the inspiration for our cafe. And eating breakfast in Italy, colazione, it, and eating breakfast anyway, actually, and <laughs> I think that is also a big part of why we have such a fun menu you know the, the most incredible things can be made with four ingredients literally you can do anything if you have olive oil you can do anything <gasps> oh do you remember the olive oil jugs the olive yes. oil yes they
0: were everywhere oh my God, it was so good no <laughs> oh, fun with olive the oil, oil. Yeah. Ooh, that could be an interesting conversation right there <laughs> So I feel like I, maybe Gavin and I are a part of the, of the spark of the inspiration, the seed that was planted. (laughs) That would have been serendipity step number
1: one. Yes, absolutely. Definitely. Because that was definitely an inspiration for it.
0: So it's no wonder that there's serendipity, this law of attraction. And that's why I feel the title, Kathy, is very special. For our community. We're we're very lucky. Um, When I first arrived in the Comox Valley in the early 90s, it was the Portside Cafe. And then it changed hands. And some breakfast places tried and didn't turn over so well. The social house or social club, whatever they called that, went in there. And it didn't seem to survive very long. When you opened up, knowing that history, you did what's called a smudging.
1: Yes. Yes, we did. We had, when we came here, it was, it was something called the Purple Onion, and that owner sold it to someone else who changed it into Twisted Dishes, and right. that owner sold, sold it, it sat empty for a while, that was the first time we were approached as potentially, because I was managing Church Street Bakery at the time, and thought, that maybe we would start them but no there was too much work and it was just I remember it was December our kids were just graduating and things were happening and it just wasn't a good time it was not the right time and that was when the social room took it we went there a couple of times it was an interesting business but um I remember finding out on the on the down low that Mm -hmm they were gonna be selling it. And I remember early days when they were doing the reno, Kurt and I would joke with our friends and be like, oh, imagine if after a year they fail and they do all the renos and then you guys could take it over. <laughs> we were like, yeah, that's never gonna happen. Well, <laughs> fast forward a year, <laughs> yeah. we put in an offer, which, and, and went through the realtor and it was all about board, put our deposit down, everything went to hack. They oh, no. discovered that the employees hadn't been paid. One of the owners had left the partnership. The other hadn't paid any of the bills oh, dear. So, and the employees got locked out. So the whole business just collapsed. And so did our deal. Um, oh, no way to get in touch with um, the former owner of the business. Landlords are wonderful people. Um, So they were also caught up in it because it's their building. After three months of back and forth in court and figuring things out, we finally were allowed to go ahead with the rental of the building. And just because of all the craziness that had gone on there, we thought Kurt and I are, are believers in bad juju, if that's a thing. And so we just wanted to get rid of it. Uh-huh. And the daughter of some wonderful friends of ours, the lovely, lovely young woman, uh, knew how to do smudging. And we invited her to come. And uh, one of my close friends was there, as well as this young woman's mom. And Kurt and I, and we did a smudging. It's where you take sage. And she had a mix of sages from different parts of the world. We had an eagle feather, which we still have. It's in the restaurant in a strategic place, uh, because you you light you say some prayers you that are very simple and just intention. I guess you're more <laughs> setting an intention to uh, bring good energy and positivity and love into a space. And you light the sage, and you we had different feathers from different birds, and. Um, you just go into the corners, any little nooks and crannies, and you, you brush your feather over the sage smoke. And the idea is that it, it wards off any negative energy that mm-hmm. may have previously existed. And, and there's a lot of clapping involved as well to mix up the bad stagnant energy. I okay. um, you know, really felt something positive that day. And I think it's come to fruition in the form of Tidal Cafe. In, there's some renters that live there as well, as Toscano's is there. Uh, It's a really neat place. It's got, like you say, it's got a lot of history. Every day that I go there, I'm thankful for what the universe has provided for us and how we are able to use it and take advantage of it and appreciate it. And not a day goes by in there where we don't consider ourselves very lucky part of what makes it special it's not us trying to go in there and make money or whatever have a, obviously we need to make money to survive but that's not our main intent our main intent is to provide something to the Comox Valley that people can call their own and feel special about and say hey do you know that I live in Comox and that's where Title Cafe is and we just love being there and, and mm-hmm. being able to connect
0: with the community in that
1: expression of ourselves, which is our love of food.
0: Title Cafe is an experience you don't want to miss out on. Wonderful breakfast. <laughs>
1: Thanks, Mary.
0: <laughs> We're going to come to that fun part of the podcast. It's called flashcards.
1: Yay! I'll throw
0: out a word. You can give I me. It's... <laughs> it's good for you. <laughs> You can shout back a one or two or sentence answer or embellish or just say pass.
1: <laughs> okay, I, I'm going to guess which one you're going to pick. But I won't tell you if I'm right <laughs> until you pick
0: Okay, well, I have a list of them. It's, I know. You list. kind of touched on all of them. <laughs> Ooh, in the top five. But you know, <laughs> all right, let's <laughs> just go in order. Number one, resilience.
1: Resilience, yeah, Resiliency is something that is innate, I think. And it's just an attitude. And having been a military brat, moving every three years of my life, you have no choice but to be resilient. (sighs) Plus my brother (laughs) drove me crazy as a kid. So I was like, yeah, if I can deal with him, I can do anything.
0: (laughs) Did he punch you out after school like my older brother used to do with me? To wreck my toys that's all oh, but he was oh, yeah. also
1: my best friend growing up because we only had each other because we moved around all the time but oh, yeah yeah
0: that's awesome well we already know the answer to this one I think but let's hear it from you your next word is passion
1: <laughs> well I think that anybody who wants to do something you know it's really neat you can have a skill but no passion and you can have passion but no skill. But if you have both, I think it's I think it's just kind of a recipe to keep going. And and being passionate about something, you're gonna eventually find it and you're gonna be good at it because you can't not. You can't not. Mm. And food. Food is my passion. Well, food is the greatest love of life, I think. You can't live without it. Oh. My, husband, my husband would argue and I'd say no, I'm pretty sure you can live without that, <laughs> but you can't live without food.
0: <laughs> Beautiful. Vulnerability.
1: See, this is the one. Yeah, Vulnerability is-, is a tough one. Mm-hmm. I find my most most vulnerable moment, moments is with staffing. And when you have to tell somebody that you need to let them go and just tell, speaking your truth. You have to speak your truth. You have to be vulnerable and you have to expect they might yell at you. They might swear at you. They might hate you forever, but, but that's okay. Because if you don't speak your truth, you're not being genuine. You're not being authentic. And I think vulnerability is a huge part of that. To me, exposing yourself to failure or to criticism or to judgment Yeah, is being vulnerable. Mm. And it's uncomfortable. It's part of life. It's part of being a leader. It's part of being
0: human. And to be vulnerable means to be courageous. Yes. Well, I think your story about being the Sea King pilot and your colleagues, your male colleagues, were pushing the envelope with the aircraft, but you were vulnerable and courageous enough to say, no, I'm going to fly this safe. Because it wasn't about you. The ego was removed.
1: The ego was removed. I remember the first time I flew with my squadron commander, we were heading, he was in control of the aircraft and we were flying straight towards a cliff in Nova Scotia. And I was like, he's testing me. I know he's testing me. And I was just like, I don't know what to do because he's the commanding officer. Am I just going to take control from him? I don't want to die. And I eventually did. I was like, I have control. (laughs) And he immediately pulled up. And I think... That was a struggle for me, that struggle with authority and and finally just finally saying, okay, I have to take charge here. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, that was that was a crazy time. That was a crazy experience. But something so simple can make someone make a big decision that finally gives you credibility.
0: Okay, the next word. (laughs) Such an Air Force thing here. Can do attitude.
1: And if you saw the list of things I volunteer for, Mary, <laughs> you would be like, what? <laughs> Lots of them I don't do anymore, but I was one of those moms that volunteered for everything Every day. And yeah. if somebody said, hey, can we do this? I'd be like, yeah, we can do it. <laughs> and I'd be like up all night going, oh my God, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> what was I thinking? It's <laughs> like, you can't just say yes to everything. You have to learn how to say no that's where that voice comes in. It's like, no, I finally learned to say yeah. no. <laughs> that's yeah. hard. That is hard. It is like, cause as a resilient person, people pleaser, all that, mm. you, know, you learn if you want to get where you're going, if you want to have friends, if you want to have respect, you guys say yes. Pretty soon you realize, no, you know what? I can still have respect even if I say no, because Just because I said yes once doesn't mean I have to say yes every time.
0: Goes back to standing in your truth, like you said. Yeah.
1: And just that not wanting to fail, like giving up. I have never been a bury my head in the sand kind of person. I mean, sometimes I've wanted to. (laughs) Some days at work, I've been like, I'm just going to go home and I'm not going to think about anything. But I do. I go home. I think about it. And I dig my heels in. (laughs) And it's just. Moving forward, keep moving forward. You, as a mom, you know you want to set an example for your kids to say you can't just expect someone else is going to give it to you. It's not going <laughs> to fall in your lap. You
0: have to work for it. It is, and it's not easy having that uh, playing that role model as a mom, especially in this day and age where the uh, they're growing up in a different different world. Certainly now, one with with the, a virus in it. But they're growing up. We're the first generation of parents to raise kids that have a device in their hand. Yeah. How do you lead through that? It's it it's tough. Tough love but a lot of nurturing.
1: That's another podcast.
0: That's another podcast. Oh, the stories we could tell. <laughs> <laughs> now my all time favorite question, it always comes down to a book. <laughs> do you have a favorite book or did you have a Anything you could possibly read other than a menu (laughs) in 2020 or of all time.
1: I read read a few. Um, I have lots of favorites. Uh, I feel like one book that I've loved that I've never forgotten is called A Wrinkle in Time. Meg, right? She's a nerdy, mousy hair. I still to this day look in the mirror and I'm like, I swear to God, I have mousy hair like Meg. And I just... She knew she needed to do something and she did it. She did not sit down and let someone else do it for her. She did it. She had to go find her little brother. Mm-hmm. She had to, you know, pass all these, not really tests, but she had to, she met all these incredible people who you all gave her a bit of wisdom, which she remembered and brought on her way. And I just, to me, that book, I read it when I was in grade seven and i I've read it several times since
0: and madeline langle to write that book she was such ahead of her time i think she wrote it in the 50s or 60s or possibly even earlier and um a yeah. little meg is probably madeline's uh younger no, self
1: she's like she's like the metaphorical heroine like i mean she's just this little goat she's she speaks to any young woman who who believes in themselves you know yeah who wants to believe in themselves and how this yes. i love that book i love yeah that
0: yeah i've made reference to that back book a few times raising my daughter um, and she's she's drawn to meg as well there's so much meg in youtube yeah. life and
1: and i think any woman like you or i that was able to be in the military back in the 90s like yeah Yes, I mean, it was different then than it is now, for sure.
0: The connections we make with literature is so personal and can be so intimate. To be able to pick up a book and read the stories of fictional characters with whom we identify can change the way we see ourselves and the very way we behave and make choices for our lives that shape who we become. And Meg Blythe saw the same thing I did. This courageous young gal on a mission and wasn't going to be thrown off her path. She had set a goal for herself and was willing and able to take on any challenges to be tested, whether she knew it at the time or not. Tests that would question her beliefs and the world around her and even about herself. But Meg dug deep and stuck to her why. Literature has that magic, that power, and can be so therapeutic at the same time, like discovering a new best friend. What is just as powerful as discovering someone else who is equally compelled to a book and attracted to the same characters you loved and adored growing up. And in that moment, you identify yourself with that person too. So there you have it, the story of Blythe Reimer. Co-founder with her husband, Kurt, of the Tidal Cafe here in the Comox Valley, Vancouver Island, British Columbia. And she is as real and as honest as it gets, and I love that about her. The more she shared, the more I embraced her backstory. She showed us who she is, what she does, and why she does it, staying true to her purpose. When I work with brands for the first time, whether it is a personal brand or an organization, I have them get real on three things, passion, expertise, and values without knowing these three things you can't know your purpose and I can't put into a language to tell a story of your brand so that you can connect and resonate with your customers and clients. Blythe as you heard is passionate about food. She values quality and connection and community. She's an expert not just on nutrition and customer service but digging her heels in to ensure success. Even if that means pivoting on the fly to keep operations running smoothly. So let me just close this episode by saying two key phrases that I love. The first I just learned this week Kukstem Chichi. Thank you, sister. And namaste. I see your light. If you are enjoying listening to the backstories of these courageous and determined entrepreneurs and learning how they stayed focused on their purpose to endure through life's challenges, including the pandemic, then please, do me the honor and the pleasure. Like, share, subscribe, and tell your friends. Unfaxed Podcasts is a podcast original by Spotify, created on Anchor FM. Available to listen to on just about any of your favorite podcast listening platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you for tuning in. Stand by for another episode in the weeks to come where we'll be talking to more entrepreneurs about who they are, what they do, and why they do it.